from training to performing, join our Big League Conversation. Welcome to the CSP Elite Baseball Development Podcast with your host, Eric Cressy. Welcome back to the CSP Elite Baseball Development Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Cressy, and this is episode 70. We've got a recently retired Major League Baseball pitcher on the show today, and I always love these guests because they can be brutally honest. Um, Unlike some of the interviews they might have to do during their playing career, they can really reveal a lot of their secrets, things they struggled with, and create some really good um, learning opportunities for players, coaches, and parents alike. So we're in for a really good show. This episode is brought to you by Athletic Greens. It's an all-in-one superfood supplement with 75 whole food sourced ingredients to support your body's nutritional needs across five critical areas. Energy, immunity, gut health, hormonal support, and healthy aging. I'm an avid user of Athletic Greens myself in spite of the fact that I tend to be a supplement minimalist. To me, this is a product that is much more like whole food nutritional insurance as opposed to a true supplement. The ingredients have been carefully selected at the highest quality, most natural source. You get essential vitamins and minerals, digestive enzymes, prebiotics, probiotics, and that's the zero compromise approach from the company. It's plant-based sourced from whole foods at the highest quality, so you won't find harmful chemicals, artificial colors or flavors, preservatives or added sugar. Um, Really, it's perfect for folks who are gluten and dairy-free, paleo, keto, vegan-friendly, great for people who are intermittent fasting, all that fun stuff. Um, Personally, I love it for for obviously our athletes who don't get enough nutritional uh, benefits from fruits and vegetables because they don't eat enough. So it's a way to kind of plug in holes in diets. But also, I really like it for our college and professional athletes who may have complex travel schedules where quality food options aren't always at hand. Um, on a personal level, I'm a husband, father of three, and an entrepreneur. Um, we split our time between two states, and, and I'm also still an avid lifter. Um, so life is inherently crazy, and it can be stressful, and sleep deprivation is definitely something that we encounter. So I rely on Athletic Greens uh, for part of my immune support and believe firmly that it's, it's made a big difference in keeping me healthy in spite of how crazy our lifestyle is. Um, they've got a great offer in place. If you head to athleticgreens.com backslash Cressy, They'll get you 20 free travel packets with your purchase. Again, that's athleticgreens.com backslash Cressy, C-R-E-S-S-E-Y, and you can claim your special offer. Today's guest grew up in New York and played baseball at Stony Brook. The Marlins then drafted him in the 18th round of the 2008 MLB draft after his senior year. He quickly moved through minor league baseball and in 2010 went 16-2 with a 2.61 ERA and 145 strikeouts in 28 starts. He led the league in wins and was second in both innings pitched and strikeouts. At the end of the season, he was named the Southern League Most Outstanding Pitcher. He spent the next two years in AAA and was called up to the big leagues at the end of 2012. Over the next six years in the big leagues, he made 133 starts and also contributed as a reliever while playing for the Marlins, Blue Jays, Dodgers, and Pirates. As you'll learn in this conversation, a shoulder injury prematurely ended his career, but it wasn't before he logged 784 career innings pitched in the big leagues and accumulated plenty of good stories and lessons to share. Please welcome to the show, Tom Kohler. Welcome to the show, Tom. Hey, good to be here. I I was just joking before we got on that I'm actually recording this in the middle of a thunderstorm. So you have officially brought the thunder for episode 70. So congratulations in advance. (laughs) There's 
literally no other way I would rather do this <laughs> than sucks. by bringing by bringing the thunder. You know, you're really like an introverted person, so I just wasn't sure it would be right for you to do a thunderstorm in the background. I know but... <laughs> that's true. This was, it's gonna be tough. You're gonna have to pull the, the answers out of right out of my mouth. <laughs> All right, so we got to do this, um, and we're gonna talk about young Tom Kohler. So, talk to me about you as a high school athlete. You were a New York guy. Were you a multi-sport athlete? Were you baseball only? What was the, what was the scoop? Uh, I was a multi-sport athlete until junior year when I just kind of dedicated to, to baseball. You know, growing up in New York, we don't have year-round baseball. It's just not a thing. You know, down here, down in Florida where I live now, you drive by a baseball field, there's, there's a game on it 52 weekends a year. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I played football. I played basketball. I would use basketball to get in shape for baseball season because I, you know, you would do all the running and the sprinting. Uh, it wasn't until junior year where I kind of had a conversation with a coach where they're like, look, like you're, you're kind of good at this pitching thing. Like we think you should maybe focus more on just doing that than the other sports. Uh, and, and it, it was hard because I, I was a big fan of football. I enjoyed making contact with people. It was, <laughs> a, it was a nice release. Um, and then, but, but I kind of just took the mentality from the, of the other sports to the mound or baseball. Cause you know, I also didn't just pitch. Like I played, I caught, I played right field, first base. Like I moved around a lot. And as my arm kind of developed, I found my way towards the mound. It's funny. There was a, there was an article actually that came out last night about Zach Godley. And the subject line was meet the middle linebacker who is pitching at Fenway tonight. It sounds <laughs> I actually like I saw that. I, I, th- I thought of you when that went, went, is that, was that your mindset? Like did football help you that much with respect to your baseball career? Well, it, you know, it, it's easy to say football did, but you know, just kind of the way I grew up too. you know, my, my parents were blue collar people. My dad is a nine 11 first responder was at NYPD for 21 years. Like we're, I was taught to, I remember playing uh, uh, volleyball in a pool at like seven years old and I didn't dive for the ball to, like because it was close to the wall. And my dad was like, you got to sacrifice your body to make the play. <laughs> and it kind of stuck with me forever. So it was like it was just always a go, go, go mindset uh, when I was – I'd like to say when I was just doing athletics, but it's mm-hmm. it's it's transferred over into other aspects of life as well. I think there's, we joke about it in like the resistance training world, like, you know, that, you know, most people think they're working hard, but in reality, they've, they've probably never sniffed a seven out of 10. And then all of a sudden you realize what a 10 out of 10 is. And is if you can have a lot of seven out of 10 workouts, you're, you're probably going to have pretty good consistent success. So like, do you think that in general, we need to do more to help kids kind of find that level of, of competitiveness or, you know, pushing the limits at younger ages nowadays? Yeah. Well, I think, I think the problem with, today is that the the uh the younger kids they're told how good they are from yeah. the the moment they step on the field mm-hmm. they've got they've got so much exposure you know yeah. all these kids names right yeah. and the ranking that's just and, yeah. yeah i mean they're, they're ranking 12 year olds yeah these kids <laughs> the, these kids just want to go they can't even go to a pg-13 movie mm-hmm. but they have a rank on how good they are in the country at, at a sport it's incredible right it's 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 i know that parents like it and there's money to be made and it helps recruiting and all that. Like I I understand there's a need to an extent, but I think, I think you lose a little bit of the, the grinder mindset at an early age, right? You don't develop a grinder because if you're not on the top list at 15 years old, you might just stop playing. Yeah. So I think like, and to what kind of what you said, like you think you're working hard until you're working hard. 
um, you need to be in a room with people who work harder than you, right? Like I, some of the guys that I, I played with in my career, I remember, I remember, I remember thinking that I worked hard and was very routine oriented and, and did everything um, the same way every time between starts. And I played with Clayton Kershaw and this guy like basically walked out around with a iPad turned sideways with a giant clock because his day operated by milliseconds and he couldn't miss, you know, he couldn't miss putting his shoe on by a millisecond because he worked in that window of doing everything at the same time always. And then there's never an excuse for not getting your job done because you know, you did everything you could. That's, mm-hmm. that's wild. So I, I'm going to, I'm going to start off. So you, you, you're a college guy, right? You're playing at Stony Brook mm-hmm. Fr- freshman year, 5.68 ERA sophomore year, 5.17 junior, 4.98 ERA. So, th- I mean, they're, they're, they were numbers that got you drafted, right? They clearly got you there. Mm-hmm. But what to me is more, so you're an 18th rounder, but what to me is more astounding is the, the Marlins draft you in 2008 and you go out and you, you consistently get better every year in minor league baseball. So first two years, you were a, a 3.68 in short season. You were a 3.25 in low A slash high A. And then you go to double A, you go uh, with a 2.61 ERA on the year. Uh, you go 16 and two with 145 strikeouts and 28 starts. And you were Southern League most outstanding pitcher. Like 18th rounders don't just magically do that. And, and obviously you went to triple A the next two years and, um, in, in a very, very tough league and put up good numbers and became a big leader. I'm curious, you know, first off, what, what were the changes that happened that allow you to, to excel in minor leagues quickly? Was there an adjustment well, that the, you made? The interesting thing was, is I would have these years, right? And, you know, it took me four years. Like you didn't even read the fourth year. We were still in the fours yeah, as a, a senior point. in high school, <laughs> uh, in college. I mean, like I, but I would go and I, so my freshman year, I pitched to what you're close to a six. And then I go to, um, the new England league, the NECBL, mm-hmm. which is one of the better uh, college leagues. Yep. And I pitched to, I don't know what my numbers were, but I, it might've been a low three or even a high two. Right. Next summer, same thing go to the coastal plain league pitch to a high one mm-hmm. summer after that same. So it's like, once the guy's got a wood bat in their hand, something clicked for me. Interesting. And I don't know if it was the confidence of throwing all, you can't break a metal bat. Yep. You know? And there were times where I would, I would pitch and I'd throw a fastball down and away and a guy would get the barrel to it. And it's a double off the wall. That's not happening with wood. So I just, I, it wasn't a stuff thing and, and anything like that. It was just kind of like a mindset of like, now I can finally, they can't catch up to my stuff. My senior year, I pitched a lot and I, I probably would have had much lower, at least, um, ERA numbers mm-hmm. had I not thrown 160 pitches in outing. <laughs> like I, yeah. I was, I was pitching and like I would pitch into the, eighth every game and yep. if I got if I came out and guys were on and they got cash in it's like there's nothing you can do. Yeah. But I was I was grinding and I, I loved it though. Like I didn't want to come out. I wanted to throw I wanted to throw nine innings every game if I could. That like why not? That's why I'm there. But yeah when you get when you get to Pro Ball, like they gave me a chance. And actually at first, because I was such a late uh round pick, a guy had signed after I, I started like the second game of the season for the short, uh, short season. And then another guy had signed, it was an earlier pick. They're like, look, we need him to start. We need him to get innings. Uh, you're going to go to the bullpen. Mm-hmm. And I went to the pen and I threw well. And I remember talking to the, uh, to Brian Chatton, who's actually the assistant GM. Now he was the, um, player development guy at the time. 
He's like, do you like relieving or starting better? Because like that relieving steps looks pretty good. I'm like, I, I like to start. Like I, I want to start. I want to develop. And then somebody ended up getting called up and I got to start the rest of that year. And they kind of just, they kind of just sat me down and were like, look, we're going to keep pushing you. And if, as long as you keep performing, you'll keep moving. But you are a senior. You know, you signed for a thousand dollars. There's not a lot invested in you. So w- once, once you give us a reason, that's basically it. And I had to work really hard to make sure that I did it. No doubt. So, you know, obviously going to wood bats is, is a, is an adjustment in and of itself. It gives you more confidence. Was there any uh, change to the actual pitch mix? Was there a, a, a struggle going from that seven day rotation to the five day? Um, what, what else changed going from college to pro ball for you? Well, I did, I did notice in my, the first full season, not so much short season, cause you're running on adrenaline, like you're playing pro ball. You're just, yeah. you're flying and you're coming. I'm coming from Stony Brook, mm-hmm. uh, in the America East conference where the stadiums are not necessarily the greatest places to play. And I'm, I'm playing in, in, you know, stadiums that have seating bowls now instead of bleacher benches. Mm-hmm. And so that, that didn't matter. I was going to be ready to go every time. The, the five day rotation for the first full season was an adjustment. And I, and I kind of noticed that. Not so much college guys, but it does happen. High school guys, this happens to a little bit more. There was a, there was a velo drop, mm-hmm. you know, because they, they're just not used to the recovery, right? And it was, yeah. it was, it was really big to kind of find my routine that first year to make sure that I was not necessarily like as fresh as I, I like 100%, but it was like I had to find another 100% and I had to get as close to being as fresh as I could for every outing. And it was, it was just finding a routine to get myself ready to go five days later. It's like once that game ended, it was go time for the next time. Mm-hmm. But, and then as far as like to answer the pitch mix, mm-hmm. I got when I was at, when I got to double A, I had a, a curveball and a slider that kind of blended together. Mm-hmm. And everybody was sinker slider back then. Yeah. Everyone. So like, look, power your four seam. Throw your curveball, which is funny because that's all you hear now. Yeah, I was gonna say you were you were doing it before <laughs> yeah. everybody else was. <laughs> but we weren't we weren't taught the hot up in the zone stuff and yeah. like the the spin rate things. Like we that didn't exist. That was still like you know extension side fastballs down yep. in the zone. Yep. Um, but they taught me a cutter instead. So I was throwing. I threw a lot more curveballs, and my curveball was always sharp, but it just kind of took a jump, and it went from being like. uh an above average pitch to a plus plus curveball in like one outing because I wasn't, I wasn't getting mixed. I wasn't getting caught in between the curve and slider anymore. Right. Like what would you rather have in a fight? Uh, two dull knives or one really sharp one. Yeah. Would, you, was, <laughs> would, so, you, would yeah. you, would you actually call it a, a slider or a cutter? Cause if you look at most of the metrics, it, it profiles as a slider, but you obviously, Oh no, when I got, no. So when yeah. I got to the big leagues, yeah. we, the cutter ended up so that yeah. so we, didn't, we didn't get there yet. You, yeah. you jumped the metric. Sorry, gun. my bad. I got excited. So, big, big leagues is more I know, fun than higher. Right? So, so, well, so when we, I, uh, I kept throwing the cutter because mm-hmm. what happens when you now you have a cutter, you use it as a crutch, and you lose your fastball mm-hmm. because you just, oh, I can miss this barrel. Yeah. I'm just going to throw a cutter. Well, I get to the big leagues, and I'm giving up. Every cutter I throw is getting whacked because mm-hmm. it's, not, it's not missing the barrel anymore. So they – Chuck Hernandez calls me aside. He's like, look, we're going to turn that cutter into a true slider. Mm-hmm. Not, not big break. I want it to be short and hard. Uh, you can throw it up in the zone if you want to have it act like a cutter against specific guys. And this is what we're going to do. And we spent, a, we spent a few bullpens doing it. And well, 
actually spent one bullpen in Arizona. And then it was a start two or three days later in San Francisco. And it was a 2-0 count to Buster Posey. And I threw it and he fouled it straight back. And I came in the, I came in the dugout. He's like, what was that pitch? I was like, oh, that was a new slider. He's like, yeah, let's not throw it to the MVP after we've thrown it in a bullpen one time. I was, it, like, it, I was excited in, about in, it. In, uh, in, in thin air too, right? Learning in Arizona is not easy. Yeah, and then we went to San Francisco. I'm like, I'm just going to try it. What's the difference? But yeah, that was kind of the plan with the cutter from the beginning though was we're going to start with the cutter the hope that it turns into a true slider. Mm-hmm. But we didn't make that tweak until about, I think it was 2013 mm-hmm. uh, in the big leagues when Chuck was like, you, we got this got to go. Um, and and you, when you go back and you look at like the actual numbers on it, like the curveball over your career was anywhere from like 78 to 81. Whereas mm-hmm. like the, the slider really was consistently like 85. So it was, it, right. was, it was definitely differentiated. I'm curious, like in your, in your thought process, what, when you, when you're thinking slider, are you a guy that, that is manipulating the baseball differently? Um, are you just trusting your grip and throwing the heck out of it? Um, cause I know when you, a lot of times you see guys who are, who are sliders and curveball guys and they blend together. Um, I've had some good conversation with like Luke Jackson from the Braves about, uh-huh. you know, differentiating his, um, were they markedly different grips for you and different mindsets yes, with them? They were okay. completely, completely different grips because mm-hmm. I spiked my curveball. Yep. So. To, you know, bo- both of them, I wasn't too concerned with the location when I threw them. Mm-hmm. You know, like the um, the curveball, I would throw to like steal a strike. I, I I felt like I could throw that for a strike whenever I wanted to. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it was the better pitch of the two by far. Mm-hmm. Um, but but that's what I think. And sometimes I look back at results, and that's not necessarily true. Mm-hmm. Uh, the slider, I, it was more of I'm throwing this like I'm throwing a four seam fastball down and away. Mm-hmm. And, and I just, at the last second, I would kind of, you know, come through with my middle finger up with the grip, but I didn't want to throw that pitch for a strike ever. Yeah. If I threw it for a strike, I, I missed. So anytime I got a called strike early or anything like that, what I wanted from that pitch, I wanted action. I wanted a swing and a miss or weak contact. I wanted a ground ball to short. With the, uh, with the actual curveball, I'm curious, did you always have the ability to, to spin a baseball at a high level? Like, obviously, you were a guy that threw a four seam and a curveball once you got to that point, but like in high school, did you have it? Was it something that was no, there? No, did I didn't you- have a curveball. I didn't have a curveball in, in high school. I, I threw yeah. what I called a knuckle drop. I basically held a knuckleball and threw it as hard as I could. <laughs> but I, but I was playing high school baseball in New York and I threw hard enough to where it really didn't, I could have threw the rosin bag and they would have swum. <laughs> um, the, the cur, I got my freshman year pitching coach showed me the grip. I threw it twice and that was it. It, it just kind of stuck. Yeah. It, it so I guess, I guess I could always do it. I just didn't know that. I just didn't know how to. Yeah. I feel like I've, I've, we've had conversations like we had um, like Adam Ottavino has talked a lot about like when he was in high school, always like games, like learning how to manipulate it, spin it. And we've, you know, we've talked about how like the mindset of, you know, curveballs being dangerous for the elbows and things like that. Or it's probably an old wives tale, you know, and that we're, we're hyper cautious right. with kids. But um, I think what happens is a lot of times the kid with the best curveball is the one that's most likely to get overused and put in a bad position. So it skews our perspective. Yeah, Cause if, you, if okay. you're, if you're, if you're a kid and you're on a, summer ball team or travel ball or elite or mm-hmm. you know whatever type supremes whatever titles they have now <laughs> yeah if you could throw a, if you could throw a curveball near the zone they're gonna miss they're not gonna hit it there's there's not well how many high school kids in the country are gonna handle a 12-6 curveball yeah it's and they're pro- and if you're on the Supremes, they're probably on your team. It's <laughs> a good point. So now I'm, I'm curious. You, we talked obviously about like 
you know, it's kind of like a reverse expectation going from, from college and then to pro ball and, and putting up better numbers there. Um, I'm curious, what was the, you know, I always hear like stories about like, Hey, the SEC feels like high A and, you know, you hear guys talk about what the biggest jump is. What was the, what was the biggest change going, going through the minor leagues? Like, was it double A to triple A? Was it triple A to the big leagues? Where did you see the biggest adjustments needed on your by part? Far, mm-hmm. By far, by uh, far, double A to triple A. Really? Why, why do you say that? Yeah. Well, the travel's different. It's the first yeah. time you're flying anywhere. Mm-hmm. Okay. And yeah. it's different than the big leagues, but you're getting like, you know, when you're playing in New Orleans and you got to go to Des Moines, Iowa, mm-hmm. you're, you're leaving the field at three 30 in the morning. You're catching a five o'clock flight. And then you're like laying over in Chicago for two, you're getting to the hotel at two 30 in the afternoon. And then you got to pitch at seven. <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's just something you, plus every there, every guy has, either is going to have big league time or has had it. So there's guys that have seen thousands and thousands of, of pitches, right? You know, you're facing, you're facing guys who have played winter ball in all sorts of different Latin countries where the pitching's different, mm-hmm. right? They're like, if a guy comes from Cuba, he's seen curveball since he was nine yep. guys in the Dominican have seen changeups forever, like high velocities, like it doesn't matter to him. They played in that environment and here you are from here. I am for the first time now facing a guy who, yeah, he might be the three hit or the, the eight hitter on a triple a AAA team, but he's got, you know, a thousand career big league at bats. Yep. So you got to learn how to navigate lineups differently. Then, then you throw in the, um, the elevation factor with half that league where you're basically pitching on the moon. Yep. You're just, you're just kind of. You're learning how to do things now, right? Like double A may have more talented players, like overall prospects, but baseball players. Yeah. I mean, I know guys don't want to be in triple A because like, you, you know, if you're a prospect, you think you deserve to be in the big leagues. And if you're, if you've been in the big leagues, you want to go back. So nobody really wants to be there, but there's some good baseball. That's interesting. So I, I, I made this comment to Middlebrooks when, when we had him on. I, I love interviewing guys who are recently retired because they're always, you know, pain, sometimes painfully honest about how hard yeah. the game can be. And they're always, they're always willing to, wait, to give away their secrets too. So with like, well, he's like, I couldn't hit hard sliders. They were nasty. And like, wh- who are a few hitters that you see, you felt you could never get out and why? What was it well, about them? There was, it- there was, there was a difference between guys like I couldn't get out versus guys who would, you know, do damage. Yep. Right. Like, like everybody in America knows I gave up three home runs in one game to Bryce Harper. Right. Yeah. But they don't, but they don't know that they don't know that he was one for 15 before that. Mm-hmm. So what, right? what changed? <laughs> it, it's just, he, he got pitches and didn't miss them yep. that time. Right. Like the Bryce plans Harper. don't change. Yep. The plans don't change. The, now, if they, if you make a mistake and he hits it, mm-hmm. you can't really do much about that. But a guy that I couldn't get out was Ben Revere. I don't know what it was. He would, he was a pest. I'd get him 0-2 every count and he'd just foul, foul, foul and like slap things somewhere and he'd get on base all the time. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, you, you go, you go back into the, the dugout and you're like, what, well, all right, what do I do? Just throw a knuckleball? Like, I don't know what to throw anymore. <laughs> all right. Let's, let's talk about the flip side. Who did you fare well against that others, you know, might have struggled against? Um, I don't, I don't, I don't really like that question much yeah. because we'll leave it alone. <laughs> but like I, I, you know, I, I struck out Freddie Freeman a, a lot, mm-hmm. but he also hit some homers off me. Yeah. And yep. I, and he would, I, I remember one time being at first base and I'm like, 
dude, enough with the homers. <laughs> and he's like, when you stop striking me out, I'll stop, I'll stop hitting homers. So that was like the trade off. Like I'd strike him out three times to get a homer. It's a mutual respect. <laughs> yeah. But, but like I can't, you don't really remember the guys you have the success against. Mm-hmm. You know, you rem- like, it's true. It, and, I, and now that I'm retired, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm kind of appreciating everything a lot more than I did. You know, because when you're in it, all you're thinking about is the next outing and the next team you have to face. You're not thinking about how cool it is that you just, you know, threw 800 big league innings. Like that doesn't sit in. Yeah. You think about you think about all the things you did wrong the last outing. Even if you give up one run, you're like, well, what could I have done differently to give up zero? Yeah, and I think you know the thing that that I notice is I go through like you know I always try to prepare and go through career statistics and see if there's anything that jumps out is just like you know really for from basically 2008 eight when you were drafted up until 2017 you just consistently took the ball. I mean it was 30, yeah. 30 plus starts in the big leagues, which is not easy to do. Um, you know particularly in, in today's game when bullpens are becoming more dominant and guys are mm-hmm. getting pulled and with shutouts in the fifth inning. Like when you go back and you look at that, you know, that track record, like what, what, what do you think it was that allowed you to take the ball every fifth day so consistently over the course of really those, there was probably eight years, I would say. Yeah, I think why well, I, I, I didn't miss a start until 2017 mm-hmm. at, at all yeah. pro ball, any level. And I think it was, like I said earlier about finding a routine, mm-hmm. you know, I saw a lot of guys who would, They'd work out really hard in between starts. Then they'd have a good start and then they wouldn't do anything in between the next start. Mm-hmm. And then they, and then they throw maybe not so great. Then the next one they lift and then they're super sore. Next thing you know, they're hurt. Mm-hmm. My feeling was always, if I don't change what I'm doing, I'm not going to, I'm not going to have that like negative side effect, right? Like I might change, might change my sets or my reps or, or things that way, but I'm going to do the same exercises because I'm just going to maintain my strength. I'm going to make sure. Like if I'm deadlifting, I'm going to make sure that I hit a certain weight. And if I only do it one time for that day, that's fine. But I pulled that weight. So I'm not losing my strength and I'm not going to be sore moving forward. But if I take two weeks off in the season from deadlifting and then I try to deadlift, I'm going to be hurting. No doubt. And, and I just, I just could never do that. So I think it was, and then, and then there's the, a little mindset thing. Like there, there was a lot of times, well, that's part of the reason why I am retired was because I did that. That was kind of my next question is, is that what maybe led you down the path? Cause I mean, you had, yeah, there's, no, there's no doubt. Yeah. I, I could, you know, I, I joke with my wife that I was never good enough to go on the DL. Yeah. <laughs> because, because if I did and somebody comes up and, and throws together three good starts, like I was done, like my best asset and the most valuable thing I did for the teams that I played for was every fifth day the manager knew who he could put in the in the nine spot. And I, I and they knew that I would go out there and I'd keep the team in it. I might give up four in the first and still pitch six, but they know they knew I was there. And it's that you don't see that anymore because now if you give up four in the first, yeah. you might get taken out after three and they're gonna go to the bullpen. Yeah. But in the in the small little uh major league life that I had I was valuable for what I did and I loved it. I loved being the guy that when my teammates knew, like I was, it was a dog fight every time. Like I had a pitching coach. He told me that uh, my best attribute and my worst attribute are the same. It said, <laughs> I'll go in there. I'll go out there and I'll fight no matter what. And that sometimes I won't know when it's okay to just like, okay, we're just going to walk them here and give up one run and I'll keep fighting and end up giving up four. No doubt. 
I'm, I'm curious you know, to talk about because ca- capsule injuries are not easy. And that's what you wound up with. Like, yeah. how, when did it start for you? Kind of like, is this something that, that took time to get to where it was obviously a surgical case? Yeah, I, I the I've n- I never had shoulder issues before ever growing like growing up. My, you know, just was never a thing. And then just one one day I was pitching in, in 2016 and I just it just didn't feel right. It was just there was like burning and it was just felt dead and. And I remember looking up at the scoreboard and I, I got through six and I had like 65 pitches, no runs. And I gave up like one hit and I, I came in, I'm like, I can't, th- I can't go anymore. Like I, I can't, I cannot, I feel like I felt like, I felt like I had sat down, even though I just finished the inning, I felt like I was sitting down for an hour and a half. And like, there was no way I was going to be able to get my, my arm warm again to keep going. And they were like, you know, there's kind of, kind of a little, mini freaked out there for a little bit and they thought they're like, Oh, well he's done. Like there's no way he's going to pitch. And then, you know, with the help of a little trainer's cocktail, I found a way to finish the season. Mm-hmm. And like, I couldn't, I couldn't throw really 90 feet in between starts. Like it just was, it just was brutal. But it, it, the, the, at the same time though, after this happened, I went on like the, the best 10 game stretch of my career. <laughs> so like it, it, you know, cause I couldn't feel anything. Yeah. My body was, my body was numb. You know, and then, and then I thought in the off season, um, going into 17 that things had kind of gone away mm-hmm. and the issues kind of arose again. Like my, my arm slot was changing. My VLO was actually climbing, but my arm slot was changing and it was, it was changing the shape of my breaking balls and I just couldn't be as effective. And then, uh, you know, fast forward to go, go into the Dodgers and it kind of just, it, it was enough, it just went and that was yeah. it. Absolutely. And I think that's, that's an interesting thing that a lot of people don't understand is just what a lot of guys are trying to do just to be able to go out and, and finish a season. You know, and you often, oh, I was, I was getting, so for a seven o'clock game, mm-hmm. my prep started at four o'clock yeah. to be able to pitch yeah. for all the stuff, all the treatment and everything that I had to do to make sure my arm was ready. So like people are like, <laughs> I'd go, I'd be in New York and I'd have friends that would say, Hey, can we go to like lunch before your game? You want to meet up at like four? I'm like, let's meet up at four. Like, what's up? What do you think? I just show up at seven and walk to the mound. Like, that's not how this works. You know, I think a lot of people think that baseball, especially at the major league level, that they like that they show up at seven o'clock. Um, that's not the case. Like, you know, we were getting there at, you know, 12, 15, 12, 30, some, some days it, it's, it's a lot. I think it's a good example too of just how far the game has come, right? Like so you see somebody who's banged up, you know, and it, it may be covered up or it may actually be feeling good, but you know, there are subtle adjustments like you referred to that were, were changing the shape of your breaking mm-hmm. pitches and stuff like that. And, you know, even just, you know, here we are five years later, really, like we can pick up on that a lot better, right? We can. Yeah. Look at and that's, so many that's things. what's unfortunate is because yeah. if it was today, we would have known, right? Yeah. We would have, we would have known, Hey, like, Either with the use of like an edutronic or some, some sort of, you know, biomechanic apparatus or anything, like yeah. even just the, the, you know, Rapsodo trackman information. Yeah. We, we would have known that something was up, but that's, you know, like it is what it is from that standpoint. But I think it's just important to note that like you don't, you also don't always have to feel great to do yeah. your job. Yeah. Right. And that's, that's the mindset thing, um, that we were kind of, talking about earlier when we were talking about young guys, like it's not always like, Oh, well, I'm a hundred percent today. I feel great. Now I'm going to play. Like, no, you have to play when you're supposed to play. Mm-hmm. Even if you, even if you're feeling a little 
Now, if you're 15 and your elbow's really barking, like you probably shouldn't, you shouldn't pitch. You shouldn't (laughs) pitch. Like no tournament at that age is that important. But there comes a point where we're like, when you get into the professional ranks where it is a job and if you can perform, you have to find a way to, because otherwise somebody else will like a long career and a major league career is not a guarantee when you sign a professional contract. So every opportunity, look, the term Wally Pip is here for a reason. (laughs) So I'm I'm curious. So as you got older, you know, and you, you had more time during rehab, you started to embrace the analytics a little bit more. We kind of just hinted at understanding, like you can look at spin rate, you can look extension, you can look at horizontal and vertical release height and all these different things. What did you like? And what did you dislike? I'm I'm curious as you, as you had that at your fingertips, particularly, you know, late Um, being with the Dodgers, very progressive organization. I liked how it confirmed that my strengths are what I thought they were. Mm-hmm. I thought that was good. What I didn't like is what I saw it doing to young kids. Mm-hmm. Okay. I even more so not so much with the Dodgers because the Dodgers, I was so nervous. I thought they were going to, the day I walked in there, there was going to be uh, a 400 page binder on my chair with like terms and phrases <laughs> and everything I needed to learn. And it was as simple as like, Hey, we like your stuff. Uh, we want you to do this, uh, two, one instead of, instead of this. Like that was as simple as it was, right? Yeah. That was it. Then, uh, fast forward to the next year when I'm, I'm rehabbing with a bunch of minor league guys with the pirates where I'm like acting as a rehabber slash mentor slash pitching coach slash salt of the earth. And, uh, I asked the guest of what's your strengths? And he's like, well, you know, the computer told me that I'm like, oh, no, 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 time out. What are your strengths? Mm-hmm. Right. And he couldn't tell me. And he's like, well, they want me to throw this pitch here, fastball, force him up in the zone, and then break the ball off that. I'm like, okay, how often can you execute that pitch? And he's like, oh, not a lot. And I, I took a baseball. I said, look, this pitch right here is a ball. This pitch right here is a homer. And this pitch is the one they want you to execute. Okay, you have three balls to work with here. If you can't throw this one 75, 80% of the time, that's no longer a strength. Mm-hmm. It might be a strength in a video game or in a vacuum. And then I said, how often can you execute like a down and away extension side? And he's like, oh, like all the time. I'm like, okay, well, now that's your strength. Now this is your, this is your strength as in terms of like maybe your most valued pitch, but if you can't, let's not overexpose it. Let's get ahead and then use this as a strength because you can't execute it. That's and he was like, his head like exploded. <laughs> right. Yeah. So like I, I kind of, I created a Venn diagram. Very, it's very simple. It's TK's pitching calls <laughs> and it's, it's, one side's computer, mm-hmm. one side is your strengths, and then in the middle of the Venn diagram is what you can execute, and there you go, like where they mesh together. That's your strength. I love that. The, your most valuable execution is your strength. So I'm curious, uh, you know, maybe this builds on the analytics discussion a little bit. You know, you're, you're certainly getting more involved, uh, you know, as you've, as you've moved on from the game and, and working with some younger players. What do you like and dislike about the direction in which the game is headed? Whether that's at, you know, the amateur levels or even kind of what you're seeing in terms of, I know we've had some good conversations, even just like what we see with minor leaguers. Yeah. Well, with the minor leaguers, like we're talking about, these guys aren't learning how to pitch because they're getting told what to do. So there's no in-game adjustments, right? I've had conversations with young kids where they're even high school, college age guys where they're really concerned with their their spin rates and all this and it's like you need to learn to compete before you do anything else like there is a time to do that stuff it's like the same thing when you see a video of 
the the 12 year old kid who's learning how to hit fly balls and it's like well you just taught him how to pop up the second base because he's not strong enough and doesn't know how to square up a, a fastball mm-hmm. like you have to teach them how to do things and learn how to make in-game adjustments because when you're out there on the mound and you're at Wrigley Field and the and there's 50,000 people screaming at you there's not a laptop out there for you that's a great point <laughs> you you need you need to be able to remember the stuff that you learn, but also read, read the swing because just because they have like the hitters have all the same info. So if they know you're throwing that high inside heater, you got to look to see if he's cheating there. Cause if he did, guess what? That's not the strength today. And you got to get him out on the other side of the plate. It's interesting. So what do you like about the game? You know I mean? What, 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 what's, I hate everything about it. I don't like anything. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> cancer. Didn't you see like, like they always say like baseball didn't end. When Babe Ruth retired, have you seen baseball start up yet without me? No, no. Well, tonight there will be. Yeah. Um, guys are just so talented. Yep. Honestly, it's insane. Like when I, when I had my shoulder flare up in spring training this year, I was talking with Ashley and I was just like, look, like even if I got healthy, I can't do what these guys are doing. Mm-hmm. Like these guys, and we've talked about this with some of the guys, uh, this off season mm-hmm. where like it's funny because if you watch the, the 30 to 34 year old major league veteran throw their bullpen. They're probably like six or seven miles per hour off game speed, mm-hmm. just working routine, yep. sticking fastball, sticking, spinning stuff. And then you get this 22 year old with a cutoff, just stepping on the mound, throwing 99 every pitch. Like if you're throwing 99 with no adrenaline, what are you going to do when, when the stadiums get loud? Like it's, it's insane. Crazy. It is. And and it's like they have a second gear, but they've been trained to do it because they've, they've had to be on that stage since they were 15. Mm-hmm. Right. Cause now you go, you go to perfect game. There's track man info. You go here. There's track man. Like everything's getting tracked. I had none of that. I, I, you know, I did the perfect game, uh, tournament in Jupiter when I was a, a senior and like, I think I got like a sticker for participating or something like, well, I got, but I didn't, I, 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 they told me what I topped out at and that was it. You got, you got dinner at the food shack and we're happy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it's just things have changed, but the players are, are so talented. And I just, I wish guy, I wish people would appreciate like what they're seeing mm-hmm. because like these guys can take pitches out of any ballpark anywhere. And like, yeah, look, do I love the three true outcomes and the guys striking out? a ton and, and hitting 220, but 50 homers. No, I'd love to see, I'd love to see some more strategy, mm-hmm. um, get back in the game, but yeah. I'm also not going to hate it. When I watch yeah. tonight opening day, if there's, if Cole and Scherzer strike out 15 combined and somebody hits a walk off home run of the 12th, I'm going to be happy. There's no 12th inning anymore. Remember, we're uh, 10th, 10th inning runner on second base. <laughs> so uh, it can't happen. One more thing, uh, one more thing to dislike about baseball, I guess, I, right? I guess I, did, I gotta, I gotta read past page 72 of the, <laughs> of the, of the plan to return to play. <laughs> um, so you know, we always do a lightning round on the tail end and, uh, these are always fun okay. questions. Uh, so favorite teammate of all time. Of all time? Yep. Um, as like a, uh, it's as as like a friend or as like to have around. You, that's can, you, you can have one of each. How's that? Okay, I think uh, AJ Ramos to have yeah. like just the locker next to me for. I think we had a locker next to each other for five years, which just an absolute blast. Amazing human then, being. For he, sure. he, yeah, he is. And then uh, you know Brad Hand and Steve Ciszek. I'm going to steal two, even though you told me one. That's all right. Uh, I've I've known both of them for forever now, and like mm-hmm. you know, I, I consider them great friends. Like yeah. we we've, we've been through a lot. 
all of us together. So like, I'm, I'm excited. I'm happy for their success. And like, it's, it's been fun to watch how, how they've gone on with their careers. That's three CSP guys in the answer. That's pretty good. And I anticipated it. And I have a follow up from a Steve, yeah, you, from a Steve okay. C in Falmouth. He said, I'm supposed to ask you, what was your first bite of pizza like after a 14 year hiatus? <laughs> uh, it was actually extremely disappointing. <laughs> Is there a backstory we should hear about or? <laughs> oh, you don't know. I don't know the story. He's like, you just have to ask it live. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. I was really fat in college. Okay. Like, like, like really like uh scout day of my senior year, I was 287 pounds. All right. And, and uh, <laughs> but it's big. Did you shop and, in the Husky section when you were little? Cause I, I did. You're, no, you're I only, <laughs> I only shopped. I shopped at, uh, I think it was called academics. Cause they made like more of, of like urban clothes. Okay. So I could just buy like baggier clothes and like look completely fine. Um, but the, I found my strength coach at the time was like, you need to write down everything you eat and why for a week. Mm-hmm. And like the amount of times that I wrote pizza was incredible. <laughs> and, and it would be, and I would write next to it bored <laughs> because I would, you know, I would, I would leave class and I would go get a slice of pizza and then I would eat that while I was waiting for my Philly cheesesteak. So I just found like, <laughs> It was bad. And then, it, so I cut it out, stopped eating it all together. By the time the draft came, I was 230 pounds. That's wild. 54 pounds and, worth of, of pizza or 57 well, pounds. <laughs> look, listen, there was, there was a lot of, there was a lot of other changes mm-hmm. as well, but it was just kind of like, then I got drafted and, and we would all joke and it just became like a thing where everyone's like, when are you going to do it? When are you going to do it? You get to the big leagues, you're going to eat pizza or you, you get your first win, you're going to eat pizza. And I was afraid I was going to be white, uh, white Goodman at the end of dodgeball. <laughs> so I retired and I was like, you know what? Let's do it. And I've found that I am now mature enough that I've got my addiction under control. There you go. I feel like you're bound to run into it at like a kid birthday party when you didn't eat before well, you go Steve, or something like that. So I don't know if you ever noticed mm-hmm. at the ridiculous parties that Steve throws his children for the birthday. Yes. Where where they're bigger than some weddings I've been they, to. They, they bring in that, snow, snowballs in Florida. But they but <laughs> Marissa orders me like a little tray of sandwiches or a salad because they knew. I didn't know that. That's very thoughtful. Uh-huh. And that's why they're good friends, see? That's they're, why they're on the list. So where did you get your pizza? Was it just a local thing or did you I, sell no, out for the dream and like order it from afar? I actually smoked it. All right. <laughs> I was like, you know what? Let me try to make my own first. Then we've actually been on a quest to find Jupiter's best pizza place. There and I go. think we've, we've nailed one down. That's pretty good, All right. but no free, no free ads. But as of, as of now, <laughs> you only have yourself to blame for your disappointing experience. That's too bad. Yes. You got to yeah. bring some of the Chicago stuff back. We had some he, of this he, off well, season. It was pretty good. Oh, oh, did you? Because he told me he was going to order it for me. Like, once a week and I still don't have it. Well, so. we, we, we quarantined with a C check. So we had, yeah, we, we had inside, in, inside track. Um, all right. So next question, give teenage advice to Tom Kohler. If you could go back in time and talk to 15 year old Tom Kohler, what would you say? If you think you should say it, don't. <laughs> That's very well said. Probably no elaboration needed. Um, no. all right. Who do you uh, like to watch? Like when you turn on uh, a baseball right now, who do you enjoy watching? Who do you think like the the kids and the parents watch listening to this should tune in and check out? Well, I I love watching 
Kershaw pitch. Mm-hmm. I think he's just like you're watching history unfold every time. Um, I like I love watching Max Scherzer. Mm-hmm. Um, I always I always you know I can say it now that I'm retired. I used to get up for the days I pitched against him because I knew I had to be better mm-hmm. than I normally would. And you know, seeing him, the thing that the thing that I with Max that I think people don't realize and. There was a stretch, you know, he, where he'd go out there and he throws 220 innings and he maybe have a low three, three ERA instead of like a two five. Mm-hmm. But when he had a five run lead, he was taking those fastballs and he was shoving them down your throat because he was trying to end that game. So he gave up a couple of homers here and there that could have been avoided, right? Mm-hmm. If he was selfish and wanted to, he could have a low two every year, but he knows he needs to, he needs to save the, save the arms in the pen. Mm-hmm. Don't waste extra pitches. Don't throw 120 through through seven innings. And he's like, I'm going to try to get these guys out as fast as possible. And I'm going to start shoving heaters down their throat. But he's also fun to watch. And I know this probably isn't going out tonight. So for his next start, mm-hmm. when you see him early on, start realizing that there's a chance for 10 strikeouts. Watch how he starts beep-bopping around the, around the, uh, the mound. He smells it. <laughs> And it gets, you'll see, he'll start with, he gets three early. The walk around gets a little bit, the path gets deeper and deeper and deeper. Mm-hmm. And then when, you, but hitters, hitters recognize it and they're like, don't let him start bopping out there because we're in trouble. I feel like that and was, a Ye- real like Yelich, I think Yelich had a quote about that one year. Like, oh, we, we used to talk about it all the time. You see him, you see him beep bopping out there and picking up those suitcases. You're in trouble. You're done. <laughs> That's awesome. All right. So, uh, I'm curious. We so one of the things that, that I think is always a good consideration is we always have a lot of parents and kids that listen to this together on the rides to game and stuff. But we also get a lot of coaches. Um, so I always try to emphasize, you know, what they can do better. So I'm curious as you look back on the the qualities of the best coaches you've had. You played, you know, multiple organizations, and you you obviously went to college and had coaches in the private sector, et cetera. What are some of the qualities of the best coaches you had that you look back on that were the most impactful for you? I think when you're a coach, you have to know who you're talking to. So what you can say, you know, to me might not be the same that you can say to another pitcher on the staff. So you have to be adaptable as a, as a coach or a manager of people because they're not all the same. You can't just sit out there and scream at everyone and expect them to all get the same message. You might be able to yell at one kid and another kid might crumble for it. Doesn't make that kid that's crumbling soft. It makes you, it means you're wrong for how you coached him. Mm-hmm. Right? Because if yeah. it's a, a talent, if it's a talented kid, you don't, you don't need to treat them the same. Guys do not need to be treated the same way. Coaches need to be adaptable to their players. Like I had, I just, my favorite pitching coach of all time is Chuck Hernandez. And it was just because of the dialogue we had. Mm-hmm. I'd have a bad game. And I'd be standing there in the outfield during BP. And, you know, when you have a bad game as a starting pitcher in the big leagues, the next four days are the worst days of your life because you can't, you can't do anything. Mm-hmm. And you feel like everybody on your team hates you. You're just sitting out there in the outfield. And you're like, well, I can't, I can't play for four more days. I'm just like <laughs> sucking up oxygen here in this, this dome of Marlins Park. And he would, and he would just walk over and be like, Hey, ball chucker. Man, you were dog, you were dog balls last night, huh? You stunk. <laughs> and I'd be like, yeah. And he'd be like, hey, don't worry, coach. We're going to fix that tomorrow. We're going to work on it. We'll get it right. And then you, you just feel better. Yeah. That's it. 
think like, there's, there's te- enough failure to, in this yeah. thing, you know? You don't need well, to be reminded all it of is. It. You don't need to, you don't need, the more you remind kids of failure, the more you're going to push them to lacrosse where they can just hit people with a stick. <laughs> that's, that's a great one. All right. So, so tell us now you get your, uh, you're, you're figuring out your next step. Um, what are you up to with your life? What's the, what's the next, yeah, uh, next path? I'm, I'm, I'm very excited. Um, you know, I've always, and we've, we've talked about this during, uh, in between deadlift sessions, just of how, like, how much I love the development side of the game. And like, I just want to be part of it. And then I got, I got offered like, you know, an interesting offer with the, the agency that, that represented me during my career, you know, pro agents where they're like, we want to bring you on to be an agent based in South Florida because, you know, I, I did work, uh, hand in hand with the players association. And I, I understand this business pretty well, but the other side of it was they wanted us, they wanted me to be like the director of pitching performance, mm-hmm. which is just a, a fancy title to say pitching coach, like in-house yeah. pitching coach. Be available, right. Yeah. Cause like, yeah, on a business card, director of anything looks better. Yep. You know, I could have said director of Lululemon pants and people would be like, whoa. Um, so, you know, and it took, it took a little while and talking with, with, you know, the, the smarter Kohler parent, uh, Ashley, she, we were talking about how, like, you know, I wanted to get into coaching and how long I should wait. And then she brought up the point. It's like, if you're, if you're an advisor to an organization, you're a coach or a coordinator, your guys are changing all the time. Mm-hmm. Like, and you're, and you're gone all the time. Mm-hmm. So now I'm coaching different kids every year. Um, and I'm away from my family all the time. And in this, I have an opportunity to, you know, take our pitchers and be part of their development process yeah, and be the with them their whole career. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, you know, a lot of agencies are, are kind of built on, listen, let's get, let's get, um, you paid for what you've done. Right. Like you got to arbitration, but I want, if I got a pitcher who is in rookie ball, I want to get, I want to help him not by, not by like disagreeing with everything the organization says, because that would be a disaster too. Mm-hmm. But I want to help him reach his potential as early as possible to elongate that career. Yep. Let's get you right sooner. Let's not wait five years to figure out that, Hey, look, if we make this tweak on your breaking ball. You're going to explode. Yeah. Let's do it now. So I'm, I'm excited about that. Like I, you know, I've already, and with the help of actually some of, some of the guys at, at your gym mm-hmm. have been in talks of trying to get some of our minor league guys to get bullpens in where I can go watch them with the rap sodos and be like, mm-hmm. look, we got to make this tweak. Like, let's not use, lose this year of development because like yeah. the one thing I, and I, and I don't know how many minor league guys are going to listen to this. I don't care if I rep you. I know you or anything. If you waste this year of development, that's on you yeah. because if you show up to spring training next year and you can't command your breaking ball or you can't hit a curveball or you're, you're out of shape and you can't run, no organization in this league is going to go, Oh, you know what? Well, there was COVID last year. Yeah. No, you're gone and pull the ladder up, Johnny, because I got mine and we'll get somebody else. Yeah. It's it, the, the game moves on really fast, doesn't it? That's, that's one thing that's, that's come to really fast. Easy and to pick up on what's It's right not. And I think it's important to remember, no matter how good you are or what draft slot you were taken in, you are never guaranteed to play in the big leagues. That's the a, game owes you nothing. It's a great message. 
um, an important one. And I think, you know, the other thing too, that that's a, a you know, a tag along to that is, you know, you, you, you're a guy who's very direct, and, you know, for probably in your own opinion, probably yeah. for, for better or worse. But I think that's, that's sorely lacking, unfortunately, nowadays in the representation world. Well, you know well I mean? and, and why, why, why am I going to lie to somebody? Yeah. What does that do? Yeah. But you know, if, if, if I get a phone call right now from one of our guys mm-hmm. and I, I'm not going to say, actually, I'm going to, say a conversation, I'm going to change it up a little bit, but I'll, I'll, wants to go play somewhere right now. And I'm telling like, dude, if you go and you underperform, like your career is over, mm-hmm. you need to get better now. You don't need to go play. You need to get better now. You need to use this time to master your weaknesses. Let's make your strength your weakness. Oh, let's make your weakness your strength. Let's not just go play in an independently because they're allowing you to play. Mm-hmm. Let's get better now. And if, and if, if I lose a guy or we lose a guy because they don't like how I talk to him, mm-hmm. then I didn't want him anyway, because I'm, I'm tell you right now, and you know this, I'm not changing who I am. <laughs> I, can't, yeah. I can't, I can't, it's yeah. just, it's gotten me to this point in my life. And, and I know that there are people that I rub the wrong way. I've been told by <laughs> a lot of people, <laughs> but like, if, if there's loyalty and trust there, there's not a thing I won't do for a person. And yeah, if you ask me a question, you better, you, you better be ready to get the truth. I like it, man. Simple as that. That's, and you, and you just gave it to us for, for 40 plus minutes. So probably, was probably, it that long? It was great, man. It was, it was probably this a good place. This didn't even feel like a podcast. It just felt like I was foam rolling at nine just, o'clock in the just, morning, just, waiting for you guys to finish your meeting. <laughs> just two dudes, <laughs> dudes talking shop. Um, exactly. so, so you got, you got good social media. It's TK refresh 22 on both Instagram yep. and Twitter. You are, you are definitely an active Twitter guy, whether it's posting pictures of what you smoked on your grill or talking yeah. current, current baseball trends. So definitely. I encourage folks to check that out. Yeah, I'm about to get on there right now and figure out why they just added uh, more playoffs <laughs> when they couldn't play more baseball games. There you go. Good deal, I gotta man. be. I gotta. I gotta watch out now, though, because I can't be. I don't want to. Now that I'm a working man again, I can't piss yeah. off the man up top. Up top. So when in doubt, sleep on it. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. Good deal. Scout, scouts should rank your social media restraint as an 80. That's that's a good rule. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if they only know the stuff that I want to, that I have typed out, that I delete. Oh my goodness! Well, let's uh, before we, before we uh, we we trend in that direction. Let's uh, let's call it a night. Thank you very right, much. Good. Appreciate you coming on, man. This is lots of fun. All right, thank you. All right. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the CSP Elite Baseball Development Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd be thrilled if you'd consider subscribing to the podcast and leaving us a review to read on iTunes. We welcome your suggestions for future guests and questions. Just email EliteBaseballPodcast at gmail.com. Thank you for your continued support, and we'll see you next episode.